passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You guys really got to step it up. You could ask me anything. You ask me about these dumb questions about the universal title. I could win the universal title anytime I want. I'm not that interested right now. I'd much rather hold all of you accountable for your crap, quite frankly. You could ask me anything. You could have asked me about AEW. Hey, Sammy, hey, so... Listen, I know you mentioned this. Ryan's when it's time to begin. It's on the rewind around with John Pollock and waiting. The A team that makes sense of these things we see in the ring every week on TV. It's rewind around for Monday night. Download a Tuesday morning from the post wrestling site. It's rewind around for Monday night on USA now on the John and Way take the mic. Hello, welcome to Rewind Raw. John Pollock and Waiting here with you on Monday night following Raw. Way, I am strapped down to my electric chair. I am ready to answer all questions truthfully. How are you? Do you miss being in the ginger snaps? Duh. <laughs> Man. The best part of the show. Oh, we'll spend an hour on that segment alone. That that was uh <laughs> hey guys, we've come up with this great idea. Dot oh dot God. dot. <clears throat> yeah. So uh there was a death uh and it occurred during this segment, but uh it was not to uh anyone sitting in an electric chair. Unfortunately, it was everyone sitting watching this particular segment. That is all you to know, come. You know, any every every Monday you ask me how I'm doing and it's the worst time to ask me how I'm doing <laughs> cuz it's often the worst part of my day coming off of these really bad three-hour shows. I'm not even in a uh, particular funk coming out of this show. I am. Uh, I'm good to chat about this. I had some positive stuff from All this right, show. Let's do it. Yeah. Don't want to. Don't want to ruin anything ahead of my uh, my analysis of the show. So get at the the edge of your seats, folks. Um, just to remind everyone, over the weekend, uh, we put out a number of shows. Of course, the big one being our Double or Nothing post show that you can go download now as well. It is on YouTube, correct way? You can see us in all our glory, staring lovingly at one another for two plus hours on Saturday night, chatting about Double or Nothing. That is correct. YouTube.com slash post wrestling. Give us a subscribe. Yep. Subscribe. You will never miss a video. Lots of stuff pops up there. You never know what. Uh, so go check that out. And... Let's let's quickly tee up what's coming up this week. It's a pretty big week at the site. We're introducing a new show. We have got uh, a big takeover show coming up this weekend. We have bonus interviews. It's a packed one way. This is a packed week. Might be one of the most packed in our history. So It probably is. This is a uh, content 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 as they would say. Uh so you're listening to Rewind to Raw. Everyone is aware of that. Tuesday night Everyone's going to be back here to hear more of us because it is Rewind to SmackDown, where we rewind and chat about SmackDown. Wednesday, 
Are you ready for this? The British wrestling experience is out yeah. with Benno and Jamesy. Uh, and it is the Freebird rule in the UK. Uh, this week it is uh, Martin Bushby that will be uh, playing Biggie to Benno and Jamesy's uh, Kofi and Xavier. Then on Wednesday night, we've got the double shot, which, way do you have anything on tap? I was stunned that there was a Being the Elite that came out today. Yeah, clearly they 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 never slowed down. So we'll be chatting about that. A lot of it featuring behind the scenes footage from Double or Nothing. Uh, I'm sure there will be plenty of other stuff that'll come out, but um, I think we will maybe spend the majority of the time talking about many offerings from Starcast. Yeah, I've watched a couple of the panels, so I'm going to go over those. I watched the Arne Anderson one. I watched the Bucks one with Cody, and I also saw the Brian Pillman one as well. So the, those are the three I'll probably be uh, skimming through. The Dustin Rhodes one is excellent as well. Okay. Yeah, so I highly recommend that. That one took place after uh, Double or Nothing, so he basically talks about his experience. I thought it was a really great deal, and um, yeah, we, and let me say, me and Way don't get any kind of uh, comps or anything like that. We paid like everyone else, but I thought it was a fantastic offering of like all the different panels and stuff that you had over the course of what, four days? Yes, the entire weekend. Felt like we were there. So yeah, totally cool. Uh, I also want to quickly plug the BDE, our friends from up next, Braden Harrington and Davey Portman. They are doing a live watch along of the very first takeover on their YouTube channel. So if you visit... Uh, YouTube, and then search BDE official. Look for the BDE logo. Uh, Be careful when you search for that. Yeah. What may come up. There are a number of BDEs, but look for the BDE official logo. Uh, they will be uh, doing a live watch along Wednesday night of the very first takeover. Of course, in preparation for NXT TakeOver 25 coming out this Saturday. Yes. So they will have that uh, post-show uh, late Saturday night going through the TakeOver show. Uh, Thursday, we've got the Cafe Hangout at 3 and as we've mentioned, each week throughout the run of the wrestlers on Viceland, Damian Abraham will be popping by. This week it is the MVP episode, which I thought was a really strong episode of the entire series. So Damian will chat with us about the making of that episode on Thursday. Uh, a new up next. Friday, it's the return of Rewind Away. We are going to have to watch the Thunder in Paradise movie starring Hulk Hogan, uh, per the orders of Chris Ely, who is our espresso executive producer. Uh I don't know if I've ever seen one episode of this series, but uh, we're not only doing the episodes. We're we're doing the movie. We're only doing the movie. Let me. Yeah, on. we're only doing the movie. Don't <laughs> throw me any curveballs. Well, it's weird because the movie ended up being the first two episodes. So. Um, oh, okay. If you can get, your I've name. never watched a second of any version of anything labeled Thunder in Paradise, other than um, I think I'm expecting Thunder level quality in Paradise. Yeah. When I watch this thing. Then on the weekend, it is a big weekend, folks, because we are launching a brand new show. WH Park is launching Cruel Summer, uh, and there's not going to be anything cruel about this. This is going to be a wonderful treat everyone is going to receive each weekend. Uh, he is going to be going back, and on each show, uh, he is going to be reviewing each final from the G1 Climax, starting with 1991. And what we're going to do is we are going to drop these shows Saturday and Sunday mornings. So this weekend, we've got 1991 with myself as the first guest. I'm honored. And then Sunday, Matt McEwen will join WH to chat about the 1992 final uh, with Rick Rude against Masahiro Chono. And these will run amazingly. They will wrap up. Are you ready for this way? At the end of the summer. Perfect timing. Lovely. Yes. Uh, yeah. And in your show descri descriptions, uh, whenever these episodes come out, you will see... Full links to these matches on New Japan World. So you can watch along 
And if you're perhaps a new fan or perhaps a longtime fan even of New Japan Pro Wrestling but have, haven't seen these matches in a long, long time, it's a great way to get a condensed, you know, uh, history lesson of the history of the G1 Climax dating back to 1991. And the final thing is uh, starting today, we are releasing the full interviews that I conducted for the Owen Hart audio documentary. Uh, if you are a patron, and these are going to be available for cafe members uh, the Jimmy Corderas one is already up. It's a 31-minute chat about the night that Owen Hart passed away. And then later this week, uh, Wednesday, we'll be releasing the interview that I did with Jason King, who was working with the Kansas City Star back in 1999. And then on Sa- what day is it? On Sunday, we are going to release uh, an interview with Heath McCoy, uh, the author of Pain and Passion, and also was a Calgary-based reporter. So those are the first three coming out, and then the remainder... The remaining three will be released uh, the following week. So if you're a cafe member, you will get those entire interviews uh, up on the site. Lovely. A ton of stuff on the Post Wrestling Cafe, including including your chance to win a free T-shirt. Oh, my God. Are you telling me that not only do I get all of this bonus stuff, but you're going to give me a T-shirt as well? Possibly. Wow. Well, are we ready for the draw then? We are more than ready. All right. Spinning. Way is spinning it. Um, you, you've been you've been kind of uh, I think been a little partial to the left side of the bin. So I want you to go more uh, to the right here. Uh, go okay. to the 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 conservative end and dig deep. And that is the name that you are going to remove. And who is that lucky winner? Congratulations to Julie. Nechayev, Julie Nechayev from San, uh, I don't want to give the, the full address, but from California. Congratulations, <laughs> from Julie. From 95 <laughs> Boulevard West. Congratulations, Congratulations Julie. Congratulations, Julie. Yep, you win a post-wrestling combo back featuring a t-shirt, stickers, and even a coffee sleeve. So that'll be coming your way. That's what everyone wants. I think they get these prize packs, they toss the rest away, and they keep the coffee sleeve. They must, yes. All right. Uh, yes, all cafe members, you're always entered in the draw each Monday night to win uh, something that Way is willing to give you. And and who knows? Who knows if you're going to get a knock on your door and there is waiting. Um, I wish I could go to California to deliver <laughs> you, a T-shirt. Do it, Way. I think you should. Oh, God. Okay. Done. All right. Uh, let's uh, let's blitz through some news. I almost feel like calling this the John Moxley section. This guy has just been every. Every couple of hours, it seems that something new is happening with John Moxley since Saturday night when he appeared at Double or Nothing. Uh, so let's just go uh, item by item here, Way, and I'm going to get your your assessment on on the John Moxley scale of how effective it was. So we learned right after Double or Nothing that he has a multi year deal with AEW. He will be full time come the fall. Uh, but Tony Khan did mention during the scrum afterwards that um, he is going to be available to do. Some international and independent dates. And he was very vague about what this was, but we would learn what that would turn into Sunday night when a video was released revealing John Moxley as the mysterious second knife pervert in New Japan who is coming after Juice Robinson. And they're promoting an appearance for the final night of the Super Juniors at Sumo Hall next Wednesday. They are not specifically stating it will be a match, and I'm imagining way that we're going to get an angle to set up a Dominion match with Moxley and Juice Robinson. That would seem likely. Uh, but this, uh, just John Moxley in New Japan. 
Well, I mean, the moment these Time's Up videos came out, I mean, I was already incredibly intrigued because the quality of these, this video was so well done. Like, looked beautiful, the song that they used is just cool as shit, and, you know, these, these guesses were, were really ranging, uh, m mainly towards UK talent, in particular Chris Brooks, because they had uh, showed like a close-up of a Union Jack. Nobody, I had not seen anybody, predicted that it was John Moxley. Um, and when he revealed himself that he was this person on his own Twitter by posting this video, I think the whole world, uh, was quite surprised. And I loved the way, like, the M-O-X was turned into a logo to look like an hourglass, um, because, you know, that was, you know, they used the whole hourglass motif, but then, like, the, I thought it was just brilliant. It was so well done, had me incredibly excited. I'm more excited for this news, honestly than to hear that he he was in AEW. Um, but obviously, long-term, AEW feels like the the home. So what what do you think this means for Moxley? Like, if this turns into something uh, long-term, where he's doing both AEW and New Japan, uh, Michael Craven, who's one of the executives with New Japan, stated that this was done quite some time ago, that they uh, worked out this deal, and it was done independently of AEW. He stated there is no working agreement between the two. But I'm very curious. I'm curious, most of all, if Moxley is going to end up in the G1 this year. I would. It's it's very possible. I don't know if that's the best place for him. Similar to, I mean, I very much see him like, you know, Chris Jericho's run. Coming in for your big spots, Dominion, Wrestle Kingdom, beyond that. I don't know if it's in his best interest to do a G1. Like, you want to retain that freshness. And is it in? Is it the best thing for him to do a several date tournament? Uh, this putting this all guy is doing... This guy has already signed up for five matches with Northeast East Wrestling in June and August. I think this guy is trying to fill his calendar uh, ASAP. Yeah. So it would not surprise me if he ends up getting... A, like, this is this is a real big for New Japan bringing this guy in and you want to pump up that Dallas show I think they're looking at I, I, I would think that it's um, a strong possibility he ends up in the G1 perhaps yeah perhaps um, I'm I'm excited I'm excited to see what types of matchups he like being slotted with Juice Robinson I feel um, you know it's interesting uh, and i wonder if he'll stay in, in, at that tier or if he, he's only basically taking the belt in order to uh promote a bigger match with somebody else but um it, it it's a huge spotlight for juice robinson probably the biggest match that he's ever had so in addition to that as i mentioned northeast wrestling has announced uh moxley is going to be wrestling darby allen on their june 14th event in waterbury connecticut then he'll wrestle the next night June 15th in Jackson, New Jersey. And then he's coming back August 16th, 17th, and 18th for shows with the promotion. And this is like the best drawing independent, uh, especially in, in the Northeast. Like it's a, it's a pretty big independent group uh, that brings in a lot of names. So they've announced Moxley versus Pentagon Jr. for the 16th. And then they have not announced uh, what matches he'll have the 17th and 18th. But um, to my point about the G1, Northeast does have a show july 20th which would be right in the middle of the g1 and ambrose or moxley has not been announced uh, for that particular show so uh, it seems like his schedule would allow uh to if he wanted to do the g1 he at least has no dates that he's announced that would conflict with those so i can see that as a possibility and mm -hmm. 
Then on top of it, we also have the promo that AEW released uh, late Sunday. This was about an hour before we got the New Japan announcement, and it appeared to be right after he walked backstage and goes into the locker room and just cut this 90-second promo, and I thought it was an excellent promo. Uh, it felt like he was out of prison, just like his, his video. Um I that think, line at the beginning, they will come to my funeral to confirm that the body is dead. I mean, what a great line. It's night and day compared to the man who was complaining about smells. Um, it really feels like this is the Dean Ambrose that we've been wanting for a long, long time. So I'm really happy to see it. And I'm sure it gives plenty of people hope that, you know, anybody like Sami Zayn tonight. I'm, sh- I, 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 I'm sure he's imagining himself in the same scenario Whenever he, he he's ready to leave, um, but uh, they also did did a thing on being the elite where he and Joey Janela shared a cigarette. Uh, so I don't know if that's teasing something for one of their future shows or maybe just a cute skit, but there might be something there. Well, he's wrestling on Fighter Fest, and I I couldn't I can't imagine they would go to Moxley and Omega so quickly. So maybe no. Joey Janela is going to be that person for fighter fest whether it's a team or an opponent mm-hmm. i prefer the opponent i like moxley on his own right now i don't like him uh, aligning with anybody although like a like an like a john moxley joey janela cigarette smoking association it does fit yeah it definitely fits and i think it gives um moxley a, 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 that that much more of a bad boy edge obviously helps janela get get a bigger uh platform as well so did we cover all the John Moxley stuff? This man is uh, seems like he's going to be very busy, and I cannot imagine what he is he is uh, lined up financially for himself. Like that pro wrestling T shirt, I am imagining he is selling just tons of shirts right now. He should be selling hourglasses. <laughs> His merchandise game is probably going to be uh, pretty st- solid uh, this summer. I would I'm, imagine. I'm really curious to see what changes uh, may come in regards to his in ring style. I I could say you know I think he he's had moments in his WWE run, but I I I wonder if he'll change it up at all because I I feel like he has more uh, he has better matches within him than what we've seen, or just how an audience is going to respond to him in just a non WWE setting. Um, like watching that Rollins and Zayn match tonight, I think if you put that match in front of a, a different crowd. I think they would have been really much hotter for that. I thought it was a really solid main event on Raw tonight. Yeah, but, but the what audience you... just—it it felt flat, though. Just watching it based on the reaction. But could you imagine setting up that match with that segment? I don't no, care if it was no, any. Arena. I would not be extrapolating that to uh, an outside WWE environment. Yeah. Well, we shall see. Uh, what else do we have going on here? Just any kind of thoughts yourself, Wave? Um, several days removed now from Double or Nothing, the reaction you've heard and seen, uh, and just overall thoughts on, on the show from Saturday, 48 hours removed. Uh, overwhelmingly overwhelmingly positive. Um, maybe not 100%, but like I would say 99% positive from the people that seem to watch it. I would say people who might have been negative on it perhaps are, they kind of feel like people that, you know, maybe somewhat... Or we're trying are trying to antagonize, but you know I can't really speak for them. Um, I thought the thing that was most interesting that came out of it, first of all, really pleased to see the amount of like uh, press uh, interviews, press media scrums that took. I wanted to talk to you about this, like the media setup. I mean, this is kind of like a like a nerd thing for us to talk about, but 
man, I was I thought it added so much more to it that you had like these post match scrums with the media that from a selfish standpoint, if you're AEW, it's going to get that many more news stories written about you coming out of it. And it it just felt so much more professional and I, I thought it was such a cool setup and so different from like you would never see this at, at a WWE event like that kind of um, media access after a show where guys are talking out of character. And it was to me a really strong way to kind of keep that momentum going and kind of have all the news focused on that promotion on throughout Sunday and into Monday. That was the main thing. That stood out to me because we've seen New Japan do this. And to me, this is, you know, uh, one of the strengths of New Japan. And I'm sure the Bucks and Kenny and, and Cody themselves see the strength of the the kind of purity of these post-match press conferences where they feel like they're sports. You can get guys coming out from the ring. It feels real. It feels like they're there to just, you know, be athletes to talk about the, the matchups that they have. I thought they kind of took it a step further, though. And instead of doing in-character um uh, interviews they were open to talking about the business they were open to talking about how they felt their match came across they're i thought that was so much better oh i, I think yeah. it would have been such a turnoff if they tried to shoot angles and do that like it was just it's not the audience for it and i think it would turn off uh, forget about like whatever their thoughts are towards like wrestling media but if you are someone from uh, like espn or something and you're being sent there and that's the kind of content you're bringing back to your editor. Uh, it's going to be okay. We're we're not covering the circus. Yeah, um, we, they they. I, I think I think it's. They seem to want to create an open and honest relationship with the media that's covering them. It felt like they were incredibly friendly with the people that were there. Um, probably you know because they're legitimately friends with a lot of the people in the media. Maybe that's something else to talk about in the future as well. But. Uh, here, it just felt like they were giving interviews that you would otherwise hear on their podcast or anything else. And this is the stuff that I'm personally interested in. I watched all of them and I'm sure like plenty of their audience did as well. And again, um, in a lot of interesting information comes out of these, uh, press conferences. And I would extend that to the, uh, Dustin Rhodes panel that took place the night after. Right. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, Kind of my thoughts too. They have and, announced, and, and of course, like the whole thing that that Cody mentioned about diversity getting retweeted by. Oh, of uh, course, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. Like that blew up, blew up way more than I, I'm sure they ever imagined. So, a great value to do in these press conferences. Yeah, I'm. Oh man, I'm forgetting who wrote this, but it was, um, AOC, um, endorsed. Uh, all Elite Wrestling and the government of Saudi Arabia is endorsing WWE. That's the difference Amazing. between the two. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, that that tweet um, just exploded. Like, there were all these news stories, and it was uh, Andreas Hale who tweeted out the clip. And I, the last I checked it, it had 20,000 likes on top of it. I mean, you can't you can't script that press. You can't buy that press. It has to come from a genuine place. And that's what this felt like. Uh, so coming on the heels of the announcement of All Out, which is happening Labor Day weekend, uh, to no one's surprise, StarCast 3 will be uh, piggybacking off the event, and they have announced uh, the host hotel will be the Hyatt Regency in Schaumburg, Illinois. And Everything's the yeah, same. This seems, pardon? Everything's the same as last year. Yeah, uh, yeah, the, the same setup, and they are already going to be selling bracelets uh, next week for StarCast 3. But that seems to be 
to be just a given that for the big events, um, how, how many times do you think you could do a star cast a year is two the, the max. Do you think you could squeeze in a third? I mean, I think this will be a test to see how, how much of a craving there is, but I, I can probably say that all out will, will have no trouble selling out um, the very quickly for, for labor day. And uh, if you're going to Chicago anyway, I imagine you'd probably want to go to Starcast. Um, I think Starcast has done a good job of providing interesting panels, so that you know, even if you've met all the legends that you wanted to meet, I think going there and at least seeing some of this stuff will be interesting. I I, I also wonder if any other independent promotions will be piggy, piggybacking off of All Out this year. That seems to be the next um, step. Is more live wrestling events to come over these these weekends, whether they are endorsed or not by AEW and StarCast. That seems to be the next logical step. And I think that StarCast has just become like a major factor for people that are traveling there, that would there be the same demand if it was just a five-hour wrestling show on a Saturday night versus a four-day weekend event that you can base a vacation around and have so many entertainment options if you're a wrestling fan. It like, makes, I think it's it's a big deciding factor. It makes it a weekend rather than just a, an evening. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I think from, from, the, from the looks of it, it looks like their 10-pole events will be double or nothing and all out. I'm sure more to come in the future. But, you know, let's say StarCast does like two a year spaced out that way. I feel like that they will do perfectly fine. And final note here is that uh, Takamichinoku is out of the rest of the best of the Super Juniors tournament. He had injured himself on Friday with a right foot injury and missed Sunday's match against Dragon Lee. So he forfeited that match and his remaining A block matches this week were supposed to be against Marty Skrull and Yoshinobu Kanemaru. So I would imagine Michinoku, maybe he was going to play a, a spoiler role and win maybe one match, but I don't think this late in the tournament, he had zero points and he'll end with zero, that it had a drastic effect on the math with uh, two matches remaining and the Dragon Lee one. So I guess three that he had to forfeit. And I didn't see him being Dragon Lee and probably not Marty Skrull. It was maybe he would have beat Kenamaru. Makes you really wonder, like, what what contingency plans there are. Like, let's say it wasn't Taka that got injured and it was Will Ospreay. Like, how does that affect everything? It's it, There was a G1 a few years ago, maybe 2014, when, when Nakamura had the rib injury and they, they had to deal with that problem. And, like, this is it, – it's one of the things with the New Japan tournaments is that even if early on you look at a booking decision that night and you question one guy going over, you really can't judge until the end of it because it's so intricately booked that – every win and loss is kind of looked upon to build to a bigger picture. So a guy that gets injured can throw all of that off because this is all supposed to make sense with, with the math at the end of it. So um, probably this is not the worst case scenario um, that it doesn't look like it'll throw the, the point totals into too much uh, disarray, but it can be very difficult. Like it's a house of cards when you have a tournament that is all, all the wins and losses are, telling this larger story and then suddenly you have to do several forfeits out of nowhere hmm. all right all your news you can go check at postwrestling.com it is uh updated all the time so go check that out raw from monday night they were in kansas city at the sprint center for memorial day and that's how we started off the show there was this uh, wonderful video uh commemorate commemorating uh veterans that had lost their lives uh defending the country and some very uh, heart-wrenching stories and, and interviews with, with veterans. I, I thought this was a really classy, very nice 
way to start the show with this video. It was an incredibly touching, emotional tribute. Really, really well done video. It was met with a standing ovation. Um, again, you know, their their video department, their storytelling department within the, the post-production, it always provides top-notch work. And it's nice to see them do things like this. But then you're also reminded that the next pay-per-view coming up is in Saudi Arabia. So, I don't know. I struggle with the... Uh, with this, with with how I feel, I, I think that it's only the beginning of that over the next uh, ten day period that it's going to be amplified. I think the the issues people have with, with this deal that um I was on this uh radio interview in Orlando on on Sunday night and was that's like where the I was on there to talk about the Owen Hart documentary, but we beget we we started talking about you know the 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 rise and popularity of the women's division in WWE. And then one of the female hosts was was telling me that you know that she's you know a real big fan of you know Becky Lynch and all these women, but this Saudi Arabia deal it's really difficult for her to get past that. And I think that that's the case for a lot of people. Like it is a very uh, it's a very they're very conflicted, even if they are an incredible fan of this product. That that is a step too far for many people. I think it's one of those things that I'm really interested to see how a competitor coming up will affect um like i i feel like this amount of negative publicity will not be acceptable had there been legitimate competition like let's say they're in the monday night wars i don't think they would have entered into it or at least i don't think they would have continued with a deal like this seeing the amount of negative press that they would have maybe they would have because it's an incredible amount of money but I I I really I'm curious to see if AEW rises continually how something like that might affect the Saudi thing. And and what in theory, I mean it's only a theoretical, but how would AEW respond to getting an offer like that where the, here's a here's a company with a startup with enormous costs and expenses out of the gate, a deal like that, it's for some, they would not even think twice and accept it and would justify it by, well, we're taking this conflict money, but it's doing a lot of good. It's going to give a lot of people – it's it's our road to profitability, and we can make so many lives better that are employed by us. But I, the, I would love to see like how that would play out, but you know, so much of AEW's identity is built on – diversity and acceptance look at cody's you know uh, uh well that's oh. it it's like you you can take that money and you can justify it however you want but then when you're speaking about inclusiveness and all this other stuff that then rings hollow when you make such a contradictory public stance uh and yeah you can bury your head in the sand and a lot of people might when it comes to that amount of money coming in but there is a you give up something then afterwards when it comes to what you preach in my opinion, I feel like because they're so invested, and I think genuinely they do not want, they would not do something. I, I can't, again, I can't really say. I can't speak for them. But I think if they did accept something like that, I think it would totally kill the trust that they had with their audience. I think it would be almost a betrayal. Um, so, you know, but but it doesn't even have to be that. I'm sure as a company they will face other uh, potentially, you know, um, more moral dilemmas. Uh, you know, because in the end they are a business. They have to make money, but not... Every business decision might be made with the best of moral intentions. So it's, I'm sure we'll run into those issues at some point. Brock Lesnar and Paul Heyman are in the back and Brock Lesnar has his new merchandise line, the Brock party, the Brock party. What'd you think? Would you buy this one? 
I wouldn't touch this shirt, but I thought that <laughs> if ever there's a better guy to get uh, his merchandise over, it was Brock Lesnar in the first 10 minutes of the show. I think the idea of Brock Lesnar um, wearing any type of like gaudy cartoonish shirt is hilarious. And that seems to be the current character. He's running with it. I think the shirt is perfect for the type of th- the type of character he's playing right now. This thing's going to be a great seller for him, I think. Kofi is the first one out. So keep the count way. We're at one. Yes. With Kofi. They recapped the Ziggler attack from last week. And Kofi had a pretty good reaction here. He said that Kevin Owens re-injured Big E's knee. And then he was brutalized by Ziggler, but he didn't finish the job. He's here tonight for Mr. Money in the Bank. Uh, and he wants Lesnar to cash in on him tonight. He's met by Seth Rollins, who also wants to find out who Lesnar is going to cash in against right now. And that prompts Lesnar to come out with Heyman to his theme song, which quickly cuts to this low-fidelity theme as Brock is coming out with his boombox, which they have now taken the briefcase and designed it as a boombox, They put speakers into the briefcase. Yes. (laughs) And Brock is just having the time of his life coming down the the ring. He's dancing in the ring. I thought Brock was so awesome here. I think some may think it was too much comedy for Brock. I thought this guy was hilarious. I think Brock Lesnar for years now, I think, has been somewhat stale. I think his act with Paul Heyman has been stale. It's been the same thing. Suplex City, tough guy, great. He needed something new. He needed an evolution. But who knew that that evolution would come in the form of boombox dancing Brock Lesnar? Uh, it's ridiculous, and I fucking love it. Like Th- but- This to me was not, like, uh, believe me, I'm definitely the one to be critical when you take, like, a serious guy and go too over the well, top. Mariachi, this to me, this was like Brock with, like, the Eddie Guerrero segment, yeah. where it's just, like, here's the badass, but to me, this does not at all touch his credibility or anything like that i just thought it was really fun and i'm i agree with your points yeah i don't know where they got this song though like this is like the worst song that you've ever it heard. sucked but it and was almost like intentional it's almost like they yeah. wanted you to believe like this music was actually coming out of this briefcase like it sounded so shitty yeah but the song itself was just like obnoxious and <laughs> i think perfect for it, the segment if ringtones were like still a thing i feel like this would be Something heavily marketed to, but I don't even know if like ringtones are really a thing anymore. So then they played New Day's theme and Seth's theme as Heyman played air guitar, which I I don't think he approached uh, Kyle O'Reilly, much less Hiroshi Tanahashi levels of air guitar play to the point that Lesnar made him stop. But this was just ridiculous to watch these two. So what was the idea? Was like was he trying to goad him into like are we supposed to think that that music was coming out of the boombox or or was he trying to goad them into a dance off? Like what was what was going well, on? Well, it was definitely you could tell it was like it was lower quality versions of Kofi and Seth's themes. So I don't know what the thought process was if it was to actually believe like this man's carrying a boombox. Um I actually didn't mind it though. Um, I didn't e- even care because, like, you got to see Brock Lesnar dance to all of this, and Brock it, was all in on this. He's just like, like having the time of his life, and for somebody who usually is portrayed as such a serious monster, I think you know it'd be one thing if Brock was losing every match 
and like if his stock was like devalued that way and then you had made him you know kind of come out and dance but him being dominant holding that briefcase in doing this type of dancing makes it come across like he's mocking people and it it just worked so the big question is when brock is finally ready to cash in is seth going to be at home and then hear this music outside his window and then it's going to be Brock as Judd Nelson holding up the briefcase outside in front of his car. God, how can they get away with that? Um, I'm sure they're, they're, they might be cooking up scenarios right now. All the fun you can do with the boombox. Maybe maybe some like, you know, do the right thing in there. Um, Radio Rahim. I don't know. All the fun you could have. So... Uh, <laughs> After they play the different theme musics, uh, the theme songs, Heyman said that they ruined the Brock party, and he blames Seth for peeing on their party. And Seth just takes off and he leaves. He didn't seem all that interested about a cash-in anymore. And then Lesnar and Heyman end up finishing their promo with Kofi in the ring, and then they leave, and Kofi's alone in the ring, and we see Dolph Ziggler with the uh, the camera zoomed out on from the perspective of Brock, and we see Dolph run in, attacking Kingston, and nailed him from behind, hit a zigzag on the ramp, and then he got a chair as Xavier Woods ran down for help as we went to a commercial break, and then would continue um, what I would describe as the, the Peter Griffin versus the chicken segment, that this attack just went on and on and on and on. It went very long. Do you know what time this thing ended? This was 31 minutes into the show that this segment finally ended between Ziggler and Kingston. We had Woods involved. We had, it was so long that Ziggler was able to send Kofi away injured and he made a recovery and came back by the end of it. Yeah. I understand. It was just so long. Yeah, I understand, you know, wanting Brock out there at the beginning of the show for, for your rating spike. I don't see how carrying the rest of the, the quarters uh, into the 30-minute the, the mark with Ziggler versus uh, Xavier Woods would, would really achieve any, anything that would resemble anything uh, significant in the ratings. I just don't see it. I mean, it it went on too long, and by the end of it, you're just kind of back full circle from... Kofi versus Dolph, back to Kofi versus Dolph. At the end, Ziggler came back out on stage after he had left, and he cut a promo saying that Kofi has been wasting his time awaiting Lesnar to cash in on him. What he should be worried about is their match in 11 days. And Ziggler also had, like, spots of blood over him, so I don't know what happened in all of this. It looked like he had cut his wrist, maybe from, like, a, a chair or something. And he took full advantage of it because you could see him wiping it all over his face. In fact, he went by the time he went to the back and came back out, he had opened up his shirt and wiped all the blood across his chest to emphasize the blood. So I, I'm, I'm really curious to see that because we're talking about a company that at, at, at you know not that long ago, like would stop matches to get rid of blood from their TV, even on their network specials, they would do that. Here, it looked like they were amplifying the blood intentionally. So. I mean, I'm not going to say, you know, 
uh, perhaps a bloody certain bloody match over the weekend might have ha- held some influence on 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 a decision like this. But I, I noticed some. Vince showed up at TV after seeing that match, and he just handed out razor blades to everybody. <laughs> this, have at it. <laughs> yeah, this is the difference maker. This will lift our ratings. I mean, but you know, there was it, clearly they did not tell tell Dolph Ziggler to wipe that stuff off. In fact, um, whether his decision or, or or Vince's, they amplified the the wrist blood all over his chest. So Ziggler said that he needs to, Kofi needs to celebrate over the next 11 days. He says, every time I see you with that title, I think it should have been me. And he admires Kofi. He said, you've had two friends since day one. And I always called the people liars who said you were a B plus player. I knew how good you were. But what happens when you don't have that title? And I take it. And then he said, It took a bit longer than I wanted to, which was the summary of this entire segment. (laughs) And then says, it should have been me at WrestleMania, which then it dawned on me. Dolph Ziggler is literally playing Kevin Owens in this feud. Except he's going to Saudi Arabia. Except he is going to Saudi Arabia. But he is the stand-in for Kevin Owens and is just taking his story. Like, it was supposed to be Kevin Owens at WrestleMania and I think that this would have a lot more uh, to it if, like, right down to Ziggler saying, like, we were friends before, I respected you, uh, yeah. but it should have been me at WrestleMania, and you took this opportunity from me. Like, he's just, he's pretty much, they have taken the material for Kevin Owens and just placed it onto the lap of Dolph Ziggler. True. And, and you know, thinking about Owens saying these words, I think possibly would have worked a bit better. Because, I mean, while I enjoyed Dolph's promo on, on Tuesday, hearing it again here, especially coming off of those three segments, I had already kind of had my fill of Dolph Ziggler on my TV. And to just hear him basically cut the same promo, I was kind of tired with it. The other problem is, it's Dolph Ziggler saying all this. You know, Dolph Ziggler, the boy who cried Dolph, threatening to uh, uh, give us a world where he will take the World Heavyweight Championship from Kofi Kingston. Nobody buys it. Um, of course they could do it and, you know, shock the world, but it just I think I don't think anybody buys into this at all. No, no. I, I don't think there's a prayer. It's like it'd be also one thing if like he was given strong wins, but it's not like he's even had any matches, much less wins. So as a challenger, he's just like dead in the water. Well, I mean, the circumstances were such like this is, uh, you know, he was just thrown into this and they're just they're trying to make the best of a, a situation here to do a two week program to build this up. But the end of this, there were some Kofi chants. Um, you know, I thought it was a pretty pro, uh, you know, allowed reception for Kofi at, at points uh, during this. But you know, there were the problem was there were a lot of moments to this 31 minute opening that we got. I will say, you know, Kofi is, is being kept quite strong. I think his character is, is quite strong. Fans still clearly really like the guy. He does not feel like the main character of the show. I mean, SmackDown, maybe he does. But certainly, you know, Raw, I guess, is not a show. Like, he really does feel like a Bret Hart type of uh, champion where he gets a lot of strong wins, but he's only facing opponents that, you know, are C-level guys that he should beat anyway. Uh, but nonetheless, the audience really likes him. Then we had the block party that the Usos were hosting all night long. Yeah, we had a Brock party and a block party. Okay. Yes. They wish Natalia a happy birthday. 
and we had uh, it was inter- the guests that were uh, that were there. They weren't the stars on the show, but they weren't the geeks fighting for the twenty four seven championship. It was like the in betweeners that got invited to this block party, and we Wait. would see that literal differentiation when the twenty four seven geeks got involved, and none of the the mid level talent got involved and tried to pin our truth. So it was really a very uh, precise delineation of where everyone's tier is on this show. I didn't notice that distinction. Who who was an example of a mid-level guy? Well, we had the revival here. We had Titus O'Neil, um, who I guess was involved in the 24-7 thing last week, but was not going for the title this week. When didn't they he chase him. after? I think they, all those guys chased, chased after... In in the segment when they they crashed the party, there was a bunch of them standing around that did not get involved. They didn't get a chance to pin our truth, but I think they're like, didn't they all brawl with each other? Uh, don't think all of the like Eric Young was never part of the barbecue. He was part of the like okay. we had Eric Young, Drake Maverick, and our truth and Carl Anderson all fighting over the title. Um, I please. refuse to go back and double check this, so. I will I will yeah. stand corrected if people in the barbecue blended into the twenty four seven crowd. Maybe their the Venn diagram does have some crossover. Yeah. So that was the start of our barbecue segments. There were like eighty of them. Yep. Charlie found Shane McMahon backstage. He's competing tonight, and he has Drew McIntyre in his corner, and he got ready for his match by saying, "I I think I'm ready for this." So. Then this was bizarre. Shane and Drew come out to Shane's music, and then they return back stage. We go to break, and then we come back, and they're in the ring. I know that they love to do the thing where, you know, you they come out, and then you cut the commercial, and then you're back. And I understand the philosophy behind it. Entrances can take a lot of time. Doing it this way also, I guess, sets up a, a cliffhanger, everybody. Shane McMahon is up next. Yeah, but this I, I understand starting your entrance, but he started it and then it was almost like he was like missed a cue or something, and then he walked backstage again. He walked backstage again? He came they out went and back came sta- back in? Yes. Oh like okay. they, they they entered the arena and then they left and walked backstage. We go to break, and then when we came back, they're in the ring. Are you sure they weren't walking towards the entrance? They were le- they were going back. They turned around and walked back. Okay, I, I, I'll have to rewatch this show. No, uh, I don't want you to do not that. Not just for the to analyze who was at the party, but also to see this. That sounds bizarre. They're in the ring. Shane mentions the history of the McMahon family and the Samoan dynasty. He was always taught respect. And then Reigns struck down the patriarch of the WWE, his father. And he mentions the high chief, Peter Maivia, the rock, Yokozuna, the Head Shrinkers, the Usos, but the most vicious were the Wild Samoans, Afa and Roman Reigns' father, Sika. And Shane said, I knew them well. I may have known them better than Roman Reigns did, (laughs) which I thought was awesome. I might have known Roman's father more than him. (laughs) And he said, why? Because I was in the front row for all their accomplishments and all their mistakes. Yeah. And he is not going to disparage them. He said that his father cleaned up their mistakes and says someone from the Samoan dynasty is going to face him tonight. 
I like the little history lesson Shane McMahon gave here. Um, although I, I, th- I think it wasn't really designed to build up to a crescendo. It was just more like, hey, everybody, I knew these people. I knew Roman Reigns' father. And then here's his cousin. Uh, it, it never really kind of like built up to a point for the crowd to really pop in excitement. So I don't think this audience was really... They didn't have that much patience, it seemed. Well, it was also strange because we went from... You know, Shane in the back and then coming out, commercial. We did the promo, then another commercial, and then we come back. We also had this, uh, the the Hunter Orton video in between. Yeah, they aired that again. Um, and also, if you were, at least on the Canadian broadcast, they did run an ad for the Stomping Grounds pay-per-view in Tacoma. And they were advertising Roman Reigns versus Randy Orton for the pay-per-view. So we'll see if that happens. Okay, great. But that's so, at least what they're promoting locally. What you're saying is there were a lot of commercial breaks in between the Shane McMahon stuff. Yes. Yeah. It's awkward that they come back for a promo segment and then leave. Like, they were back for four minutes and then went to another commercial. It was, yeah, it was just, um, I don't know what it is. Like, I mean, I, I think there are a million reasons why it is what it is. But they're just like, on this particular episode, it felt like they were stretching everything. Like, it felt like they had maybe, like, a run sheet for a two-hour show that they just decided to stretch into a three-hour show just so that they could fit all these commercial breaks in. Um, I mean, did it feel different from a typical edition of Raw? Uh, Yeah, it did feel disjointed at times. And there were some mistakes, too. Like, there's uh, something coming up on, like, the graphics that seemed to be an error. Um, You know, there were were some some strange elements to this show, and it did feel uh, somewhat disjointed at times. So Shane is in the ring with Lance Anawahi, who has been uh, wrestling for MLW in the past, but is not under contract to MLW. So he was free to do this. And Drew pulls Lance to the floor and runs him into the barricade and apron repeatedly and then into the post and hits him with a belly to belly and chops him. And Shane then has him bring him into the ring and calls for the bell. So Lance Anawahi is all beaten down and Shane takes him to the woodshed with his punches and kicks as the crowd begins chanting, this is awful. They were also chanting AEW. Yes, there were AEW chants as well. Uh, the first Lance of many, got... I'm sure, to come. Yes. Like, I feel uh, like the, it, that has... That's going to be the protest chant. I think that'll have replaced the CM Punk chant. Uh, Lance landed one drop kick on Shane, and then Shane stopped a super kick and proceeded to hit... The Judas effect. Yes. And then apply. Hey, listen, I don't, it's a toss up which one looked better. Cause I don't, yeah, Jericho's is fine, but I, it's a, Shane's is just as good. And then he applied the inverted triangle and won the match in a minute 33. They continued the attack after the match. Shane reapplied the submission and said he reminds him of Sika and he would do the exact same to Sika whose worst mistake was spawning Roman. And after all this, now Cousin Roman decides, I better do something. I mean, I'm here on Raw for a reason. I better come out. Not to mention the rest of the family that was having a block party in the back. who didn't give a shit at all about this. The users were there. Well, they were busy. Tamina was there. Yeah. (laughs) He comes out, Superman punched to Drew. He chases Shane. Uh, ends up 
Shane hits him with an elbow, but then Reigns takes him out with a Superman punch, sets up for the spear, but Drew pulls Shane away, and they're shown leaving the backstage area. And this was the entire utilization of Roman Reigns on the show, which I guess he's kind of centered here to the Shane McMahon feud, but it just seemed that like they had the the most minimal idea for Roman Reigns on this show on I mean this whole point of this wild card is to have access to guys like Roman Reigns. If anything, it's probably it's like the Roman Reigns rule is basically what the wild card is. Okay, so is Roman number three? Two. No, three. You're right. We've seen well let's go back. We've seen Xavier, we saw Kofi, we saw Roman. Um Shane doesn't really count. Woods. Yeah, yeah, I said Xavier, Kofi, and Reigns. That's three. Was anyone in the block party? That was all raw. Ziggler. Z- Ziggler's a raw guy. Ziggler's raw? Ziggler is raw. Are you sure? Why Remember he, he had the feud with Drew McIntyre for all those months? No, 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 no. But he came out to challenge Kofi Kingston for the for the SmackDown championship. He's SmackDown now. Well, he was never moved to SmackDown. Is well, it, was he, that considered was, moving to SmackDown? He was when inactive he for a long, long time, and his contract was renewed. So I'm assuming he signed a new contract with Raw or SmackDown. <laughs> they have not, they have es- not explained any of this way. They have not established that you can be a Raw person. Well, I guess they, the Usos have not <laughs> followed up on their uh, championship um, tag team championship uh, uh, challenge. By the way, with Rowan and, and Brian, but this is a fucking mess. Like I'm, I'm thinking of Ziggler as as a Raw guy, and I know in the in the end. None of this shit matters. They're just going to do what they want. But I well, wait. We also it, like eat, forget Ziggler. We had our truth and Carmella on the show. So oh the, God, the, yeah. the the four people was blown out of the water already. Completely. What, three weeks in. Completely. Yes. So I mean, okay. By my count, I'm I'm saying this is four already, including Roman. So we we hit six on this show, unless we missed anyone. We could have. <laughs> So after that segment, uh, what did we have next? I Brock mean, and ha- the, the, Haven returned. The whole thing with like the you know bringing out the cousin, I think, is actually an interesting idea. But to have to proceed with the match for as long as they did, the crowd turned on it. Um, they did not want to see this at all, and this began the AEW chance. Yeah, um, yeah. It's just um, I don't know. I think Shane plays it a decent heel. I'm not really that uh, turned off by his his heel stuff, and I do feel ultimately this match will, um, well, we'll see how it, it it's pulled off uh, at Super Showdown. I think um, he's a good heel, but that means he should probably be a manager and not an in ring competitor. Yeah, and you could question if if Reigns Drew is the best. If you want to go back to that, uh, which ultimately. You have to move on from the Shane program. Like I, I don't know how much juice you have in more than one Reigns and Shane match. I mean, they they probably have to do something where Drew and Shane have the numbers advantage on Reigns, and it builds up to some stipulation match, probably two weeks later at Stomping Grounds. But I, I can't see the Shane feud going all that much longer unless it's Shane just bringing in heel after heel to throw at Reigns. Sure, whatever. Like none of that sounds that appealing. Brock and Heyman returned. They come out in the ring, and Heyman starts reading the Money in the Bank contract and gets interrupted by Seth Rollins. He says, this title is my life, and Lesnar makes a mockery of it with the beatbox because, or the boombox, because Lesnar is a joke, and what he did at WrestleMania, he can do again right now. 
Lesnar used to be the most feared man in combat sports. He, he's now a coward and a shell of what he used to be and challenges Brock to cash it in now. And Heyman goes back to reading the contract that Lesnar can choose the time and the place before May 19th, 2020. And Lesnar turns around and reads. He says, I've got a year. And he starts throwing the papers at Heyman. He did not know the money in the bank stipulation laughs at Rollins and says, screw you. I've got a year to hold on to this thing. And he takes off and he leaves. So he's clearly never watched WWE for the past 15 years. Or realized what Seth Rollins did to him at WrestleMania in 2015. Yeah. Um, I... This was, you know, by all accounts, it, it, it feels like they, do you think that they changed their plans for Saudi Arabia? Well, Heyman, like, just did this interview, like, in the last day or so, and said he was going to Saudi Arabia because Brock was going to Saudi Arabia. And I cannot fathom Brock not being on that card. So, but not I, I looked at tonight, um, perhaps not, I, I'll say this, if it is the title match, uh, I thought it was a strange decision not to set that up. Like you have one more show. Well, clearly they they have. Which I guess it really doesn't matter. You could you could do something next week. You could send Brock to just do another match. I guess it really does not matter. But but that I mean they set up another challenger for Seth Rollins. They they set up a Baron Corbin, and I I think if you're not going to promote Brock Lesnar in a title match, then why? Have him like to me. Brock Lesnar is not a surprise cash in. He's the type of uh, cash in that you promote because he's Brock Lesnar. Um, I, I I really do wonder if they decided to look at Brock Lesnar and say, "Hey, this guy is a difference maker for the ratings. He's doing great with this Money in the Bank briefcase. We're going to keep it on him a lot longer than we had originally planned." They may in fact be doing that, but um, he still has to do something in Saudi Arabia and they've teased like if it's not with Rollins what are you doing with this guy any match who um Jinder Mahal all right who cares (laughs) well he's uh he's gonna make a lot of money probably for um if it's not Rollins a very minimal they don't need to give away that Rollins match you know it's they don't need to give. Uh, more importantly, they don't need to give away Brock Lesnar's money in the bank briefcase because if they're not going to have that briefcase on anybody else to give them value, um, why? You know, clearly Brock Lesnar is doing something right now with the briefcase. It's helping Brock. It's overall helping their TV to have Brock dance around with the money in the bank briefcase. I'd, they might keep it for a long time. R-Truth and Carmella then ran through the crowd at the end of this, and the wrestlers are chasing after him. Eric Young was involved, Drake Maverick was, Carl Anderson, and R-Truth escaped the covers and left with Carmella on his back. As Renee noted, I love that title. Which, uh, man, it's one thing to hear Cody and the Young Bucks really bury the design of this title. It's another to hear Edge, who is... One of the most, like, <laughs> this guy does not say things to, like, um, just cause a stir with people. And he, even he said, like, that is the ugliest title. I could have designed that. I think he would have done a better job. But, um, 
What are your thoughts on the 24-7 thing uh, a weekend way? Two weeks You were in, much higher on this than I was last week. I was wondering if during social media, especially over the course of the weekend, how much we would get from uh, from the participants here of this division. I think Drake Maverick has still been very active. I think he's been a highlight along with R-Truth. Those two have been tremendous. But on the TV itself, it just is a constant reminder of who your C-level talent is. Um, I think two weeks, a weekend now, I thought this week it lost a lot of steam. I thought the potential is still there for them to do a lot of really creative things with it. But what you see on TV like this had no creativity attached to it whatsoever. We're going to have a, a party and then a cornhole game within the party. And I don't know, our truth is just going to run in. Why is he here? No idea. He's not a raw guy. He's not one of the wild card people. He just walks in. Okay, good enough. Everybody gets their airtime done. It's it's lazy. Again, the potential is there for for a lot of fun stuff. Like, look at the Joey Joey Ryan DDT stuff. Like, that's just ridiculous and it's fun and not to be taken seriously, but just tremendously entertaining. On TV, at least, what you saw tonight was just nothing. Um, but again, you know, you take it to social media, and and I think guys like Truth and and Drake Maverick continue to maybe impress. But on TV, it, you see none of that creativity. Charlie was with AJ Styles, and he said he had been injured and had been replaced by Baron Corbin in the four-way tonight. He said he felt a pop in his lower back at Money in the Bank. He is not making excuses for losing to Seth Rollins, and he wanted to compete tonight. And then he got attacked by Baron Corbin in the trainer's room and got tended to. And I, I thought that this segment was notable because last week we did the slap segment with AJ and uh, Corbin, and then they followed up on it here. So they're definitely going to build to this match. Clearly, uh, I, the- thought, I thought last week this was going to be their match at Super Showdown. It seems rather obvious to me that Corbin was put into Lesnar's spot against Rollins for Saudi Arabia. But, you know, obviously we don't, I don't have confirmation on that. But why else would they do this? Yeah, and maybe this is... Like, ultimately, if, if they were just shuffling things around, um, they're keeping this program going, and maybe you do end up doing uh, Rollins and, and Corbin at Super Showdown. Like, I, I do not know 100% what the the plan is, Um they announced that match. Way, how many matches have they announced and and changed? Yeah, I I, I just don't I I don't see them announcing that match only to change it later. But anyway, you're right. Yeah, sure, they could change whatever they want. But but they they're already changing it from something else. Well, they had not uh, previously announced the match before. Then why do the angle from last week? Okay, whatever. We're gonna get into an argument again <laughs> we're not arguing i mean we're just trying to make sense I'm of jo- like i'm joking i'm joking what's on uh the show uh becky <laughs> yeah, lynch that's came what's gonna ca- cause the issue <laughs> becky lynch is out it's her and nikki cross against the iconics and the graphic came up identifying the iconics as the raw women's tag team champions hmm and i I did ask about this and was told that it is most likely that was just an error on the graphic. So I don't think this is an indication that they are now suddenly just raw champions. I feel bad for whoever types those graphics because um, if I would mistake that half the time. 
Well, that that's not an error you typically see in in WWE, where no. everything is so rigidly identified by a certain um, wording. But, but I I completely agree. But fuck, they got like fourteen titles. Some of these titles are on both brands. Some of these are sing, uh, individual. Like, good luck, you know, trying to keep track of everything. So the bizarre team of, of Becky and Nikki saw the advantage on on Nikki early on, and she was able to hit a crossbody onto both women to set up the commercial. She made the hot tag to Becky, which was among the more livelier responses of the night from the crowd. They double-teamed Becky. She kicked out. The Iconics were screaming away. And then Becky applied the disarmor, and Nikki was able to pull Billy Kay down, and Peyton Royce escaped the disarmor, went for a roll-up, and then Becky lifted her up for a urinagi, which was identified as the manhandle slam. And shocking news here, the Iconics, your tag team champions, they lost. And that means that we have the 85th set of challengers that are ready for the Iconics. I'm pretty sure Becky's already beat them before, but um, in a singles match, I guess. Maybe not. Uh, no, she won the handicap match last week, didn't she? Like with Alexa, uh, with the, the coffee match? Yeah, last week it was uh, Becky, Nikki, and Alexa. They beat the Iconics and Lacey Evans. Uh, so they, they, it was a, a six-woman tag. Okay. Well, a world of difference, I guess. <laughs> they lost. They lost. <laughs> they lost last week. Uh, they lost this week. They're going to lose next week. Uh, and we got the manhandle slam. Not not at all a fan of that name, but I mean, for all we know, Becky probably came up with that herself. Um, Shouldn't it be like a, a variation on like a pump handle? Like this was like a urinagi. A man, a pump. <laughs> I'm just trying to picture the uh, the image. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Sure. Whatever. But um, the move is fine. You know, it's it's just like they can get anything over. The move is fine. I, I'm glad she has a, a secondary finisher now. I thought this match sucked. Um, it was just like, oh, man, the Iconics in there holding Nikki's head or her arm for a long, long time. And then Becky comes in and does her new move. Like, that was it. So it was, it was just not good. After the match, Lacey Evans walked out. And then she just turned around and walked to the back. So we've gone backwards with her character now. We're just back to the entrances. And... I, I hesitate to even bring up this point, but I, I, I posted the, the photo on Twitter. <laughs> Becky is holding up her title, staring at Evans, while Nikki is behind Becky and briefly is staring at Becky's title. And there's the part of me is like, what a what a, what a cool little clue to throw in there if people caught me, that. <laughs> I understand. That's why I'm hesitant to even mention this, because I will... I am 85% sure this will never be revisited ever again. But that to me is something that you don't get those kinds of things and especially get payoffs to. And I think that's a little thing that, that they miss at times. I absolutely, I absolutely think it's possible that this feud ends with Nikki versus Becky with, with Nikki turning on Becky. I think that makes perfect sense. Um, whether or not that that was planned for her to look at, at, at the belt, it's also very possible that that was set up there. I feel like whatever decision was made regarding that was probably independent, though, of the rest of the program. Well, 
let's give him the benefit of the doubt. Maybe this, sure. this was a. If this turns out to be a title match, then hey, I think that like that's something I, I like that kind of stuff. If you if you catch that, and it wasn't Michael Cole screaming, Renee, she's staring at the belt. Do you notice her staring at the belt, Corey? She's staring at the belt. Let's go to a replay of her staring at the belt. <laughs> Back to the block party. The Usos are with Naomi. Tamina's back. And they all just stared at each other. And then they all hugged and rejoiced. Well, we're, the suppo- revival- we're supposed to remember that the last time these two might have interacted, they were on opposite oh God, sides, who, I guess. Who knows when it was. Yeah. Yeah, Tamina's been gone, I guess, since Nia Jax got hurt. Yes. We haven't seen her since WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. The revival appeared, and the Usos said, no one invited you. Naomi corrects them, says, yes, I invited them. They need to squash the beef, and they agree, and they're going to have hot dogs together. They squashed beef. By eating processed No, they, beef. like, one of the revival members had beef in their, like, a hot dog in their hands or a patty or something and oh squashed it. I missed that. Hands. I'm sorry. I didn't uh, have all my details, detailed notes of the block party. You know, we really have to go back for a deep dive on this Uso block party, I think. <laughs> um, again, like, I feel like seeing the Usos and their whole family celebrate while their their cousin Lance is just, like, in the back, just probably in a hospital somewhere. I think there's some real potential for Lance Anoa'i to be, like, the unwanted cousin. The unwanted <laughs> So he's adopted by Shane Lance McMahon. Yeah. He's just the one like nobody recognizes. He gets beaten up every week. Nobody saves him. Ricochet and Cesaro. Both are going to be part of the 50 man over the top rope battle Royal. Do you know what, what is at stake in this match? Is it a belt at least? No, no. Renee asked the question that's on it was on my mind absolutely when i heard this match being announced she asked everyone can you imagine the bragging rights no this is going to be the like every argument will end with the winner saying hey 50 man over the top rope battle royal winner oh my god oh boy what happened to bronze belt he won last year in that thing um he just has it. Just has it. All right. See, so that, this was, is a, this that is was... A, this is clearly, this is not a Royal Rumble. This is 50 people getting into this ring. Yeah. That was a championship for the greatest Royal Rumble. This is something completely different. I imagine we're not going to have three rings. No, I don't think so. No. That would not go over well, WWE promoting I, World War Three. I think they could fit 50 people in there. I mean, no room. But Can I, you imagine being one of 50 people in that ring? Like, what are you going to do? Are you just going to Braun just, like, like, throw out 25 guys by just flexing? Yes. Yes, I think they'll do that immediately. Wow. Ricochet leaped uh, backwards off the buckle into a Rana and a Fosbury flop going into the commercial. Uh, Then he continued with a shooting star press, a standing shooting star. There were European uppercuts delivered to Ricochet on the turnbuckle. And then Ricochet knocked down Cesaro, teased to 630, but Cesaro got out of the way and then hit this running uppercut and Ricochet flew. There was a powerbomb attempt by Cesaro, turned into a code red for a two count. And then the closing sequence sees Ricochet 
kick off the chest of Cesaro, flip to the floor. He then does a handstand on the edge of the apron, landing on the shoulders of Cesaro into a spinning Rana where he hooked the leg for the win. This ending sequence was so great. It's incredibly impressive. Man, this was uh, not not the hottest crowd, but this was a very fun match involving these two. I don't need any story. Just throw these two out there. I'm fine with it. I thought it had some really good moments, especially for a TV match. Sure. Then we got an update on Rey Mysterio. He has a separated shoulder, and next week he will relinquish the United States title. Where Samoa you, Joe... Hold on a second. Where do you think either man goes from that match? Ricochet and Cesaro? Yeah, the series is 1-1. No, oh, nowhere. They'll do five more of these. Mm. They're just... uh. They're just trading wins. Sure. And they're, and they're going to settle their bragging rights in this battle royal. Okay. Joe came out, said Ray will do the right thing, and then he's waiting to take back the title that is rightfully his. And Ray's shoulder is, like, legitimately messed up. So, um, Well, they initially advertised this for this week. Like, Joe's promo last week said this week Ray was going to be here, but I guess plans change. They, they change. Then they promote. Coming up later tonight, I I saw this photo because I was like 10 minutes behind. I seriously thought Kayfabe News had just released a story. It's Sami Zayn next to an electric chair. And tonight will be the electric chair experience where they announced that no question is off limits and then cut to break where we had a super showdown promo. It's perfect, isn't it? I didn't know what this was. I was going to find out. Oh, the block party, they're playing cornhole. Any notes, any observations? Because I wrote nothing beyond that. First cornhole game I've seen on wrestling TV. Yeah. Miz did a promo. He said things have changed in his life. He's now closer with his dad and he's having a second baby daughter. And he's a champion on the inside. Then we cut to Braun Strowman yelling. And the best part of this was in Braun Strowman's yelling voice, he congratulated Miz on the gender reveal of his baby. And then got interrupted by his own music and had to rush his promo to get to his own entrance. Well, that's nice of him. This was something else. I loved it. Braun, Miz, Bobby Lashley, and Baron Corbin. So I, I, I contemplated getting up and going for a walk before this match because I knew it was going to be long and I knew it was going to be challenging. Yeah. They announced the stipulations... For this match. The winner gets a future title shot at Super Showdown. Yes. Even though Bobby Lashley and Braun Strowman already have a match scheduled for one another at that show. (laughs) And they reminded you of that as well. And they also mentioned that this was an elimination four-way. They mentioned this multiple times. They said (laughs) Lashley did an insert promo. He said he is championship material. He's been playing too many games since returning, which is why he wasn't invited for Cornhole. And he will go to Super Showdown and become champion. So Seth Rollins, 
go burn that down. <laughs> a literal burn. Uh, they kept plugging the Firefly Funhouse. Uh, they were doing a lot of that tonight. I don't know if this was more than usual of really just hammering home all the segments that were coming up later. I mean, yeah, they don't really want you to leave. And I, I, I will say, I think the Firefly Funhouse has been one of their lone bright spots in recent weeks. Lashley and Strowman sent the others to the floor. They had their face off. Then Braun went into the shoulder, uh, went into the post shoulder first. And Miz comes back in. He delivers his yes kicks to Corbin and Lashley. He stopped with a suplex. Tower of Doom spot when Braun returns, throwing everyone. And then they go through the commercial break. Miz, <laughs> watching Miz block Lashley's punches was something you just need to save to your permanent memory bank. Uh, he gets caught with a deep six by Baron Corbin. Strowman then slammed Miz onto the apron. There's a shoulder tackle that sends Corbin into the timekeeper's area. And then Lashley leaps off the apron, takes down Braun. They go over the barricade, and then they fight into the crowd. And it proved to be fatal because these two uh, died. Yeah. They disappeared. Yeah. So I guess... That was their explanation about why they're out of the match. Um, thus, they were eliminated from this el- elimination match. But Miz what- was doing his uh, all of his offense. He's running knees into the corner, and then he goes for one more, and he runs into the end of days, and that was the end of match. Uh, Cole then explains, well, Strowman and Lashley took themselves out of the match. Uh, why they promoted this as elimination, I'm not quite sure, but... Baron Corbin is your winner. What um, Of all the times we talk about beating guys in their hometown, well, here's one, everyone. They put the hometown guy over, so stop complaining. Yeah. I, I don't know why they advertise this as, as an elimination match um, when you would have had the same result with just one pinfall. Um, I, and also really convenient that the two men who just walked themselves out of the match already happened to have a match at at, at the pay-per-view. It was a match that took a long time. Rules were complicated for no reason. And, you know, announcers as usual are kind of put in a tough spot having to make sense of it all. And especially the end result, you get out of here. Baron Corbin versus Seth Rollins. Like, there's no way they would have promoted this as a for- first choice. Even for the Saudis. Especially for the Saudis. Are you kidding me? But, um, congratulations. You get Baron Corbin versus uh, Seth Rollins at your really expensive show. More cornhole. The Usos and Revival got into an argument. R-Truth showed up. Kalisto rolled him up for a two count. Carl tried to cover him. Everyone fights. R-Truth escapes. The end. Yep. Firefly Funhouse. It'll be really interesting to like watch these 24-7 segments back in like a year. And see all the people that are no longer with the company and working for AEW. Yeah. Yeah. Who's going to be doing the 24-7 panel at uh, the next StarCast? Oh. Firefly Funhouse. Bray has this paper plate covering his face with uh, the mask drawn onto it. And he pulls it down with this sinister look. And he asked if they enjoyed his secret, which he calls The Fiend. People say and do horrible things, and it's hard to find his confidence and be brave. But when he puts on the mask, I can be anything I want to be. 
Abby the witch then called him a sicko and asks if he is a doctor. So Bray transforms into a doctor and diagnoses Abby as a bully. Abby complains about being tired and doesn't want to be stuck in limbo. And Bray, hearing the word limbo, all of a sudden these children are holding a limbo pole and he does his little spider walk underneath it and says, let me in. Yeah. I thought it was, like all the other segments, kind of confusing, kind of cool. I think the people like it will continue to like it. Those people who don't care about it will continue to not care. Um, do you- I think he's crafted a really interesting character. I don't think there's anyone that isn't curious about this character. Um, do you think that they're it, actually just- working some type of story here? You had Abby mention, like, be pretty critical of Bray Wyatt. So is Abby supposed to represent, like, his one side of his consciousness do you have any thoughts? I think that in this three minutes, you could take a lot of little character, pl- like plot twists and little things like they're introducing, like limbo. What, is, what does, does that represent? Like this world that they're in. I think there's all these little things that I feel are ultimately going to mean little or nothing when you have to merge this with the main show and have... This this feels as though it's a very small group that are producing these segments, and then it's going to be a much larger collaborative effort, and we will see how much of this world they've created is going to be able to make its way into the actual show. Uh, that's where I fear this being uh, kind of lost. But I, I think thus far, they've generated people's interest, and we're getting to the point where now you do have to na- take the inevitable next step with this character. It can't be the vignettes forever. I think it's clear that in Bray's mind and whoever's working with him on these things, he's he's probably got a very clear map of what this all means. And it's probably incredibly complex and detailed and intricate and probably really good. Um, the question is, what is he going to have to do when he's told you're in the electric chair next week? Yeah, like as can, this character, can you convey the same idea and the same story to Vince McMahon? Can you sell him on it and can you dumb it down enough for him to... Well, that's what it comes down to, dumbing it down. Yeah. But, you know, let's, uh, you also have to argue, Vince might be right. This might be, this might just go over over the heads of of too many people who are used to pretty basic, simple storytelling on Raw that's easily digestible. There's a point where I think you could be too, too clever for your own good. And I think many of Bray Wyatt's... What, did you not pay attention to those 13 weeks of promos? Well, and exactly. the sentence that was missing out? Exactly. So, like, even dating back to that, like, it's clear Bray probably had... it. May, all those promos made perfect sense to him. But only to him. They, like, it's, he's like, you know, he's like a, like a, like, Ghostface Killer. Like, great rapper. But, like, sometimes, like, his words, like, you don't know what the fuck he's saying. He's just, like, it's slang that makes perfect sense to him. But to everybody else, you don't really know what he's saying. But it sounds really cool. Can he fall into the same trap? I will say, you know, the visual components of all this stuff definitely makes like these promos way more appealing than what what just seeing him talk in a dark room. So visually, this this character obviously has a lot more going for it than previous. I think this, you know, it's so far has been it, to me, it's it's representative of a rehabilitation for the Bray Wyatt character. I wouldn't say it's completely done that for him yet because it's too early to state that. But I think that. 
you know, if you if you're gonna look at like this is this is on the main show. It's not like this is this guy just doing this on his YouTube channel. Like this is on the show, so I think they deserve credit for what they've been able to do so far, and that it has gotten through all the necessary levels to get onto the show and be done in what feels like a a different type of tone and voice than you're used to for a lot of their vignettes and, and character pieces. Yeah, we'll see how they integrate it. Tuesday night on SmackDown, Kofi Kingston will take take on, and I quote, his longtime rival, Kevin Owens. A month is a long time. It's been a tough four weeks for these two and their rivalry, but it comes to a head on Tuesday night on SmackDown. Are you ready, Way? Are you strapped in? Yeah. Corey Graves is with Sami Zayn in the ring. They literally have an electric chair inside of the ring. Corey Graves says no matter how controversial, no questions are off limits. So Sami Zayn sits down. They do not strap him in. That would have been fun. And we go to the audience. And there is Charlie. And she asks Eric, what is your question? And he asked, what are you going to be doing next Friday when everyone's at the Super Showdown? No, he asked him, when is your retirement date? Zane asks, are your parents related? And turned it into an insult towards Kansas City. Then we had Izzy ask if he misses the no, ginger snaps. It was, not, it was not Izzy. That's what she was named. Oh, okay. That, that was the girl's name. That's how they so identified So just her. another young girl named Dizzy. Gotcha. Yes. Asked if he missed the ginger snaps from the Mixed Match Challenge. And Zane responds, are you asking me about Becky Lynch? And she responds, duh. And this got a pop. This did get a pop from people. She was the best part of this show, along with Brock. But those two things were like the highlights of this show. Her reaction Zane says, your parents have done a terrible job. And then he just casually mentions Seth Rollins and that line. Well, it, it fit the theme of the electric chair because it died a death. Then we had Mike ask about Braun destroying him. Zane threatened to punch him in the face. But in this toxic culture, I'd be sued and tied up in litigation. And then I'd put you in debt, which because you're an American, your health care probably sucks. Zane was really trying his best here. And then we had Thomas, who could not keep a straight face, uh, nor could he remember his question, but he finally got it out about Sami Zayn not winning the title since he's come back. And Zane says, you could ask me anything, including about AEW. And, man, I hated this segment so much. Uh, it was just terrible. Yeah, I mean, if anything, again, I thought it was interesting because knowing that Sami Zayn is really just a catalyst for Vince McMahon and his anger towards the world in this current incarnation um, makes you really wonder what the intent was behind this segment. Um, I mean, the audience, the, the fans that they got, clearly, you know, it was like a sanitized... Like, who knows what type of, what was going on behind the scenes? Did they feed them the questions? Did they ask them what questions they were going to ask before hearing them? I, I don't know. 
Um, and what was up with the AEW line? You know, like it almost felt like Zayn had, and by 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 default, Vince had a line prepared to talk uh, for for an AEW question. Like if 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 not that, then this certainly prompts future AEW questions to be asked if they decide to do this again it just for fuels the aew competition talk so i don't know what was going on here um i i would have loved to have actually heard a line about aew beyond zane bringing it up himself but um otherwise i I, I didn't get the sense for a second these were legitimate questions i think every single question was prepared like these were just you know people reciting the questions that they were given Sure. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we expected this to be a terrible segment and it pretty much lived up to expectations. Will it come back? Well, he destroyed the chair afterwards. So, I don't oh, that's know. right. Seth came out and destroyed the chair and that prompted a match. Yeah. Over the chair. No, so. not over the chair. It's just probably. Well, it was an impromptu match. match, they said. So well, it was maybe over the Becky comment. How about that? Well, he was pretty late. I'd totally forgotten about that line. That was like three questions before. Maybe Seth was upset about the AEW diss. <laughs> it wasn't really even a diss. It was more just dropping their... I think they just wanted it just for... I don't know. Oh, my God. They said AEW on TV. I don't know. It was, to me, just a swing and a miss segment. So the main event was Rollins and Zayn, non-title match. And Heyman and Lesnar were showing, sitting in the dressing room. So they're hovering over this. And Cole says that Seth Rollins is a workhorse, but he's not a fucking horse. They fought on the floor early. Zane took over. Rear chin lock time. Uh, then Rollins is running to the post to set up the break. We come back. Uh, Zane takes two suicide dives. And on the second one, Rollins tweaks his knee. And what I liked about this was Cole bringing up that the danger of Rollins getting injured here with Lesnar lurking uh, in the back. So that's kind of an added story that you can play up here. It's not just Rollins having to fight from underneath in this match. It's also preserving yourself in case there is a cash-in. So I like that element of this. Zayn hit him with a DDT, and then Rollins fought back, missed with the stomp, and Zayn applied the figure four, got out of that. Rollins hit the revolution knee at or he missed with the revolution knee, took a blue thunder bomb, and then they're trading slaps. Rollins stops the figure four attempt. Zayn goes to the floor, returns into the ring, being hit with the stomp, but Rollins is selling the knee. He can't cover him. And then channeling Bon Jovi, he yells, this is my life. Just scream this. Have you ever been uh, so, had so much conviction way that you've yelled those words? No. He um, hits another stomp and he pins in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I thought it was a good match, but... I liked the match. But I thought it was tiring. Um, it was a long match, but I think that it was... I think with the tease of Lesnar, um, it moved it a bit uh, quicker, but... Um, did nothing for and me. And I, I, I liked the match. I think in front of a better crowd, it would have gotten over more because I, I thought both guys worked very well together. Um, but... The crowd was not overly hot for this match. And then it just ended like that. There was no Lesnar. There was nothing at the end. It just went off the air, and you're left with the impression that, yes, it is Seth Rollins and Baron Corbin in Saudi Arabia next week. 
Yeah, I thought they ended up getting the crowd, but I thought I thought it took them a long time to get there. And, you know, I don't blame this audience at all after the spectacular setup that they had with that electric chair segment. I thought this was a worse than average edition of Raw. But on a weekend coming off of a great effort from your future competition, it felt even worse. You know, like I thought, I think like watching this, like Double or Nothing just magnifies how complacent we've all been to accepting poor quality television. Like we're, we've been watching this for so long now. Because it was as good as it was going to get. But now that it feels like there's going to be a genuine alternative product, like it feels like we don't have to grade these shows on a curve anymore. Um, I thought oh, they, I never do. I'm just told I'm very negative as a result. I'm fine with that. I thought they relied like way too much on Brock Lesnar appearances. And again, I don't blame them. You look at the ratings. Oh, what works? Brock Lesnar works. Okay, let's use him for every hour. Um, but it felt so lazy. Like it felt like at the top, at the beginning of the show. And then like at the nine o'clock hour, it just felt like I was watching the same segment with Brock and Seth coming out, dragging out these, like this tease now for so long. Uh, well, the tease worked last week and I think they're just, that's but, what they've got it, as a hook now, but give it back to me in a creative way. Don't just cut, have him come out here, tease that he could, he's going to make an announcement and then have them walk to the back, not making an announcement, only for them to come back out at 9 o'clock to tease making another announcement and not make an announcement. You can only do that for so long before I stop giving this shit altogether. So well, I'm, if you're going in, though, with the, like, we're not doing the cash-in, and we're using Brock as, as a hook for throughout the show, I mean, how, how creative can you really get when you, you're not doing the payoff, and it's just to tease it throughout the show with no payoff in mind? You know that from the get-go. So... I mean, I don't think it's ultimately. I, I think tonight's number. It's going to so be fine. On? Why not have fucking Brock Lesnar dance in the corner for three hours? Because if your goal is to just have Brock Lesnar on your TV doing something, it's not the well goal though. The that. tease is that he, this time he comes out will be the time that he cashes it in. So you're you're hoping that enough people are going to be biting on that and stick around for the show with the the tease that he will. I think by the end of the first segment. I don't think anybody would have bought it. Well, so. we'll see tomorrow. Like, if there's people that just tuned out realizing that, then that's going to be a strong message. Even if it works this week, I wonder if it'll work next week. How often can you go back to this? It's well, he's not advertised. He's not advertised for next week, which makes the Saudi Arabia show really strange of, like, how they set this up, uh, whatever he's doing on the show. Mm -hmm. I guess at this point, I'm just not so impressed by any type of, you know, pretty like garnish you could put on a show in order to try to get the, your audience to stay to me brock lesnar right now as much as i loved his dancing he's no more than just like a a pretty instagram filter to like make your ugly selfie look better when you should really be working working out you should be maybe taking care of yourself better maybe get get your your hair done properly or something like that so you can take a nice picture without a filter and i didn't really see any any attempts at doing that on this particular show i thought the kofi ziggler segment took way too long and it just spun circles. The Zane thing is up there with with one of the worst segments of the year. The Shane, Lance, and OIE thing, I thought in theory might have worked, but it, it died in front of this audience because of the match. And the four-way was just confusing. So I I just didn't think that this was a great episode of Raw, especially when you're probably under a bit of a microscope from a certain section of the audience that watched a great show over the weekend. You didn't mention, though, you, you got a brand new set of contenders for the tag team championships with uh, Becky Lynch and Nikki Cross. Yeah. 
I mean, what progression is there for that story? Oh, it'll be huge. Like, of course. Any, but for any of you those, don't just be champions for no reason. But I mean, just for any of those characters, did Becky gain anything? Did Nikki gain anything from this segment? The iconics, nothing. No, it was. And let's be honest. This and granted, you are building to a pay per view where we know the women are not going to be involved. But I still thought it was pretty telling. Like Becky, Becky just felt like anyone else on this show. She didn't feel like one of the main your one of your top talents tonight. She's got no story. She has something with Lacey Evans, but it just it just felt like a completely off the radar program that just felt buried in the middle of the show and didn't feel like I, I would say even Roman Reigns was a very minimal use of him as well on tonight's show. Um, it's just interesting how they're utilizing some people and how they're using others. Feedback? Are you ready? Yeah. Do you want to head to the forum? Yeah. We got quite a bit of feedback here. Way, what are you giving this show? It sounds very low. Are you going as low as a two, or did you give this a three? Three That's and a what half. Your range sounds like a three. A three point seven three. Want to go? Do you want to start, or should I? I'll start. Paul from New Jersey says, I've always liked Dolph Ziggler. Perhaps this is an unpopular opinion, but he has the acting skills that one would see in a middle school play. I just don't believe it. Comes off as desperate to me. Not to mention whatever Brock was doing at the start of the show. I think somebody put LSD in my Memorial Day hot dogs. That was weird. The Iconics have not won a single TV match since Mania. That makes Paul sad. With such talent as Brock Lesnar, Shane McMahon, and video packages on Hunter and Norton being so heavily featured, I can't imagine why the fans were chanting AEW. I found this to be a pretty disappointing show. AJ from PA, I was actually excited to watch Raw for the first time in a while coming off the heels of AEW. I was hoping they would respond in a big way, but this show just did not do it for me. The Cesaro-Ricochet match and the main event were the only bright spots. Opening segment was just weird, and there was about 4,000 commercial breaks in the first hour. They really need to start timing segments around commercial breaks. Doing them in the middle of segments ruins the flow and momentum. They come back from break, and it always feels flat. Four out of ten. Yeah, um... I I wonder what the intent is behind it. I mean, obviously, I think a lot of it feels intentional so that you don't decide to switch channels when they have a proper cutoff. I think they like to place commercial breaks in between segments because they want you to come back to finish the segment, as aggravating as that is. And I think... I mean, yeah. Yeah, I mean, sometimes you'll see them uh, adjust when there's, like, some big game they're going up against, but... I mean, tonight you had, you know, it's not like they were going up against the NBA. You did have the hockey game, but I, I don't see that as kind of the level of something that they're doing uh, anything drastic going up against. Um, yeah, but it it did seem more glaring than usual tonight. Some of the, like, just coming back for a quick in-ring promo and then boom, we're back to break. But I, I don't know what the reasoning was. We go to the Wolf who says, there wasn't much to enjoy here and each Raw seems to feel bland and repetitive. I'm still not sold on the 24-7 title, but R-Truth has enough charisma to make it fun, and I can already feel Drake would get a great pop if he did get to wear it. You can see he's trying. I felt so bad for that poor kid fighting Shane and getting potatoed. Interesting side note, Chris Jericho was mentioned at my work and not by me, so maybe there's something to AEW betting on Jericho bringing in new fans. 
Jake writes, does anybody believe for even a second that Dolph Ziggler is going to be the one who beats Kofi for the title? They've let Dolph be dead in the water so many times. How can people view him as a legitimate threat? Cesaro Ricochet was the only positive coming out of this. Great storytelling. But other than that, the show had no consistency and was just full of clutter. Thank goodness Harry Potter is on USA now because that's more worth watching than tonight. We got a Jay from Colorado. I had Raw on in the background while I was painting my downstairs bathroom. I figured it would help pass the time. Boy, was I wrong. Raw gets three hours of my life. I was half hoping to pass out from the paint fumes and maybe wake up during Harry Potter or Grizzly or whatever they play after Raw these days. Gerard, I tuned into Raw for the first time in ages because I was morbidly curious if they would hotshot some stuff in the wake of Dublin. I think AEW might have like given them a spike in the first hour. What an awful show. No wrestling for an hour. The whole Ziggler brawling with Woods and Kingston didn't need to go for as long as it did. Sami Zayn electric chair segment was cringe. Thought that Sami versus Seth was okay, but not as good as what I would expect from them. I think the show burned out the crowd, which hurt the match. Four out of ten said the only good part was Cesaro versus Ricochet. Chris from Queensland, Australia says, like many others, I... I myself was looking to see how WWE would respond to AEW, but my god was this a disappointing show. A Sami Zayn vs. Seth Rollins main event that felt flat, and number one contender Baron Corbin. But Brock is a smart businessman. Those Brock party tees should sell like hotcakes. 1 out of 10, and cancel my network subscription, I can't deal with WWE until it improves. Question, did any clips from the weekend's house shows air with the 24-7 championship, or at least did R-Truth appear? Yes, Truth did appear. They did not air clips from house shows. There were no house shows this weekend. Okay. Yeah, they had the weekend off. So maybe um, their their next loop will have a better barometer of what their plans are for that title and, and, and doing more creative ideas. Uh, Carl writes, this show was a huge disappointment. We had a talking segment with Brock, Seth, and Kofi and Rollins. Leaves with an attack from Ziggler and Kofi, and he's getting taken to the back. Then he attacks Woods, destroys him. This is a very long sentence. Uh, the more talking from Shane has his match. Okay. He didn't like the show. Brandon from New Jersey. My dearest post-ops. Been a minute since we spoke. One of the longest weekends of 19. How feel you? I'm doing well, man. I can't complain. If I did, nobody would listen, right? Anywho, raw, huh? What a show, huh? People expected drastic changes after the A&W pay-per-view show. I found that Hugh Morris. Come on, kids. You know change doesn't happen in a day, let alone a weekend. Change takes time. It's not a journey. Plans disappear and dreams take over. But wherever I go, there you are. My luck. My fate. My fortune. Raw. Inevitable. Meandering. The Sami Zayn deal was clearly manufactured. If so, por qué, señor? John, explain your Wikipedia. What about it? Oh, it's been edited by Brandon. Oh, okay. Let's go to Brian from New York. I guess I'm in the minority as I found Raw to be tolerable tonight, though that might be me just rewarding them bonus points for deciding to inflict the main event of Baron Corbin on Saudi Arabia. I'm perfectly fine with WWE mixing things up and going long portions of the program on non-wrestling segments as a bunch of inconsequential two commercial break matches sometimes feel as skippable as anything else. Brock was fun, and I'm glad they're not just using money in the bank to get to a planned match immediately. That said, the wild card rule is wearing me down a bit. Running what could be full 
running what could be full-on SmackDown segments on Raw is pretty unneeded and takes away from that program. All the Kofi Ziggler stuff could have happened there. The constant doubling up of guys just seems to take away from time that could be used on others recently brought up to the main shows. He cites Viking Raiders, Buddy Murphy, Aleister Black, for example. So when the first 45 minutes are spent that way, I can understand the complaints. I enjoyed Cesaro Ricochet, Rollins Zane, and our weekly Firefly segments, but let's stay away from any more audience participation segments for, let's say, forever. All right. Thank you, everybody, for your feedback. All right. That is it for the show. Thank you to everyone for tuning in. Again, we are back on Tuesday night with Rewind to SmackDown. How many Raw performers show up, Way? Over or under five? I mean, this 24-7 thing kind of... Well, I mean, the 24-7 built is on a SmackDown guy, so at least that kind of keeps that probably safe. I think they will respect it this week. I think we'll see four. Okay. You're calling for four. You're very... Uh, I'm just going to say they're going to screw with everyone, and it'll be two. Oh, interesting. Maybe yeah, to make up for today. Yeah, well, who who would definitely show up that's... uh. That's on Raw. We definitely like. There's really no reason for Seth Rollins to show up. Yeah, I mean, AJ. They they're claiming is injured, so I guess we won't see him. Um, but why not yeah, Seth Rollins or Roman? Ro- Wait, Roman's on SmackDown. Um, yeah, who knows? Braun. No. Whatever. Let's just stop. Uh, that's it, everyone. We're gonna sign off. Of course, postwrestling.com is where you can get all your news updates and postwrestling uh, postwrestlingcafe.com for all of our bonus shows, many of which are coming out this week. Uh, so check out all that fine stuff, and we're going to speak with you on Tuesday night.